0: Film spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button.
1: Marion Cotillard and Michael Fassbender star in Macbeth, a thrilling new adaptation of Shakespeare's tragedy about betrayal, war, and madness. It's now available on demand. Also playing on demand is Barney Thompson, the story of a socially awkward barber who leaves his uninteresting life
0: behind as he enters into the grotesque world of the serial killer. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house.
1: From New York City, this is Film Spotting
0: Streaming Video Unit. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Lord Matthew Singer, who, with the assistance of my loyal woman servant, Allison, intend to devote this episode of Film Spotting SVU to a discussion of the comedic effort Mordecai, starring John Christopher Depp II. I will end you. Uh, quite.
1: With some grave misgivings about how many accents this will give Matt an excuse to do, and apologies in advance to the city of Boston. <laughs> we will also be taking a look at the career of Johnny Depp, who's gone from twenty-one Johnny. jump. <laughs>
0: it's pronounced, it's pronounced Johnny Depp. No, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp.
1: I can't do this. Uh, who's gone from twenty-one Jump Street heartthrob to quirky leading man to whatever it is he's up to in this latest stage. And as always, we'll be offering up recs of some of his films available to rent or stream at home right now. But first up is opening break, the segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies On Demand on Cable, in which we highlight some notable films that are new on demand. Matt, uh, it's your turn. What have you got for us? I've got some words for you,
0: Wilmore, for making fun of my Johnny. I'm so sorry, Boston. How dare you? Sorry sorry, How to everyone. How dare you? Sorry to the world. Yeah. You should be. Uh, well, I've got a couple of interesting movies here, one one of which I haven't seen. But uh, the first one I have, a movie I haven't heard a lot about, I saw it at the Toronto Film Festival. It sort of got buried by admittedly more interesting and exciting movies. But it's one of those films that, you know, it's not exceptional, but I found very solid, very much Uh, worth your time. I'm not sure if Allison's seen it. It's called The Program. It's directed by Stephen Frears, and it'll be available on VOD on March 18th. This is a biopic about Lance Armstrong, a character, a human being, I find utterly fascinating. He's played in the movie by Ben Foster, and the movie also stars Chris O'Dowd, who's another actor I I like a lot. He plays the reporter who pursues the story that Armstrong may, in fact, I don't want to spoil anything here, but he may, may, Maybe not, but may be in fact doping in order to win the Tour de France. Inside each and every one of us is something more potent, more powerful than any drug. It's called the will to survive. What does it take for you to race? I just love to ride my bike. No longer confined to Earth, now we had learned to fly. He's a man transformed, he's recovered from cancer. I'm turned into Buddy Superman. Why are you so obsessed with this? Why are you not obsessed with this? Now, as I said, it's a, it's a pretty conventional movie. This is not a, like, radical reinvention of the movie biography. And, you know, there's a lot of biopics at a festival like Toronto because, you know, it's the fall movie season. Toronto, they're positioning Oscar movies. So there's a lot of films like this. And I, I felt like this one, you know, it just kind of got lost in the shuffle. But it's a pretty decent version of what's an admittedly a pretty familiar movie. And I think that's mostly the reason to see it is, is Ben Foster, who does a really good job playing Lance Armstrong. He really, I think he's very convincing, uh, bringing out the different facets of this guy, you know, that was charming, you know, like a rock star, sports figure, but who was also behind the scenes so insanely competitive, he would destroy people basically without a second thought, all to protect his big secret, which I will not spoil again, (laughs) but whatever it was, and it's directed by Stephen Frears, who's made a lot of very good movies like The Grifters and High Fidelity, Dirty Pretty Things, The Queen. It's not amongst his top-tier films. Again, I'm not saying this is a masterpiece but again we're talking about something you're going to watch at home. I think it would do it would look pretty good on the small screen. It's it's a it's a good movie I thought. I enjoyed it. I didn't hear a lot of people talking about it. I don't even know that many people who saw it. I think it was programmed against other bigger movies and for some reason I wound up at this instead of that. And I liked it. And I think uh, people who see it are going to be impressed at the very least with Ben Foster who gives a really good performance. So that's the program. And that is available on VOD on March 18th. Next up, uh, a movie I haven't seen, but heard a lot of good things about, and I'm looking forward to finally catching up with. It's available on VOD on March 22nd. It's called James White. It's directed by Josh Mond, and I'll read you the plot description here. James, a 20-something New Yorker, struggles to take control of his self-destructive behavior in the face of momentous family challenges. And this movie got great reviews. It got some awards nominations, like at the Spirit Awards, and... I heard nothing but great things about the stars, Christopher Abbott, and particularly Cynthia Nixon. So, did you see this one?
1: I did see it, and I think it's it's well worth checking out. Yeah, in, I, in particular for Christopher Abbott, who I think really just surprises you with being like very different physically from his character on Girls, very and just like a different type of character, and it really digs into basically a bro who has to learn to find these depths within himself. I can
0: definitely relate because if there's one thing I am, it's a bro who needs to find the depths within. There you go. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to checking that one out. That's James White. Available on VOD on March 22nd. And finally, you heard it already mentioned on the show, it is the new version of Macbeth directed by Justin Kurtzel. It's available now on VOD. you got Michael Fassbender. You've got Marion Cotillard. You have Macbeth, which I'm told here is apparently a play by someone named William Shake. Shakespeare?
1: I've heard of it. Heard of the guy.
0: Okay. I'm unfamiliar, but I'm sure, you know, with a name like that, I'm sure he's probably done some good stuff. Justin Kurtzel, of course, directed the Snowtown Murders. He's now working, actually with the exact same cast, Fassbender and Cotillard, I believe, are both in the... Assassin's Creed movie based on the video game series, which is both really fun and completely laughable. I'm guessing you've never played it, Allison.
1: I have not. I have read about it, though. It's,
0: so I have a pretty good so, sense of it. I mean, it's like... I don't know how faithful they're going to be to the full scope of the and There's gonna series. be a lot of
1: wearing of hoodie hoodie historical hoodies.
0: Historical right? hoodies yeah. are a big part of it, but like there's like this whole contemporary part that I don't know that you're, if you're aware of that, I don't know if they're going to put in the movie either, but makes the games re- completely silly <laughs> um, where it, there's not only like uh, these, like, you know, you've seen like the character, like very like sort of medieval assassins and stuff like that, which are super cool, but there's this sci-fi modern component that is very laughable. Uh-huh. I have no idea if that's going to be in there, but anyway, Macbeth, there's no sci-fi component is a beautiful, beautiful movie, just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I hope it translates well at home. I mean, uh, it was a movie, a great movie to watch on the big screen, and Fassbender and Cotillard, I thought, were both really good in that, in that film. So that's Macbeth, and that's available now on VOD. I
1: am Mordecai, Lord of Silverdale. I should like to request a bucket of ice, do not disturb sign, and a bulldozer. Checking in? Yeah, we're checking in. I suspect that I may need to redecorate... Room 326, overlooks the pool. So all I must do is show up and I'm presented with a credit card. No wonder your country's in financial ruin. Do you need help with your bags? No, I do not need help with my bags. I have a bloody manservant. On every episode of FilmSpotting SVU, we turn the duty of selecting our main review over to you guys, our listeners, asking you to vote on one of three options. And this time your choices were the original Ghostbusters, which is available on Amazon Prime. The foreign language film Oscar nominee Thebe, which is available for rent, and 2015's big flop Mordecai, which is available on Hulu and Amazon Prime. And to our, let's go with surprise, I think we were both, expe- we, we both expected Ghostbusters to win. Yeah. Uh, it was Mordecai that walked away with the victory. It's stole it, you might say. Oh, God. Mordecai is based on the first of a series of novels by Kirill Bonfiglioli. I hope I pronounced that remotely right. Uh, Who was an art dealer himself, like the character. Uh, The character of Lord Charlie Mordecai and his manservant, Jock Strap, who are played in the movie by, respectively, Johnny Depp and Paul Bettany, are sort of a sociopathic riff on P.G. Wodehouse's Jeeves and Wooster which were books all about the adventures of a foppish aristocrat and his almost supernaturally competent valet. Uh, And Lord Charlie Mordecai is, uh, as I said, a dark dealer and an unscrupulous one who is married to Joanna, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, who is established to be infinitely smarter and more together than he is. Uh, Then he's got his loyal, sexually irresistible manservant Jock, who sticks with him despite a running joke about how often Mordecai ends up shooting him. Mordecai was directed by David Kopp, who is better known as a writer of things like Jurassic Park and Spider-Man, and involves the Mordecais being in a very high-end sort of debt and getting pulled into an international caper to find a stolen Goya painting uh, as an attempt to fix that problem. Ewan McGregor also stars in the movie as a police inspector who's been in love with Joanna since college and is holding out hopes that uh, her marriage will fall apart, Uh, And for a while, it seems like it might because of Mordecai's mustache. Oh, does he have a mustache in this movie? He might have a mustache. I didn't even notice. Um, There's a Hong Kong gang, a nymphomaniac heiress, and some Nazi gold. But mostly the plot is an excuse for bits of stylized screwball comedy and slapstick. Uh, this film was one of last year's most notorious flops, both critically and commercially. And I will say up front that I am not going to be making the case that this one is a misunderstood future <laughs> classic. But I did want to ask you, Matt. Yes. When you were watching this film, did you have the sense, a sense of the tone it was aiming for, even if it didn't necessarily reach it? Or was it just confounding?
0: Well, can I answer yes to both? I mean, I think I do know that – I mean, it's trying to be a very silly movie, but it is sort of – it is also a confounding movie at the same time, and somehow this is the second time I've seen this movie. I have inexplicably (laughs) seen Mordecai twice, and watching it the second time, while I didn't like it the first time, I I feel like (laughs) no one should ever watch this movie twice, and I did not enjoy seeing it a second time but i do feel like a lot of the issue is 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 my johnny is my is my johnny he is terrible in this movie and i really feel like if you put an actor in his role who's not quite so over the top you might have something or if you replace him and also turn everyone down just a little bit you know like i was watching it again this time i was thinking of if you look online, you can find um, the Zuckers and Abrams, like, rules of comedy. Zuckers and Abrams, of course, made an airplane and the naked gun. And their number one rule of comedy is never make a joke on a joke, right? And that, the idea being that if you make two jokes at the same time, it doesn't make it twice as funny. The jokes cancel each other out. So I'm reading this now from their rules. When an actor delivers a punchline, it should be done seriously. It dilutes the comedy to try to be funny on top of it. Likewise, if there is something silly going on in the background, the foreground action must be free of jokes and vice versa. So this movie violates this rule at every moment of of its existence. There are funny accents. There's funny hair. There's funny mustaches. There's funny facial expressions. There's funny costumes. There's funny names with characters named like Krampf. And every time Johnny Depp says cramph, he stretches it out to eight syllables. And it just feels like everyone is trying so hard to be funny. And that it occasionally is funny for a chuckle here or there. But that, like you said, the tone, whatever they were aiming for, which seems to be like that sort of fun, jaunty, sprightly, heist movie sort of vibe, almost like a broader Ocean's Eleven, they just miss it completely.
1: Yeah, I kept thinking of, of all things, the, uh, the Kroll show joke, uh, the, the sketch, Too Much Tuna. Are okay. You, do you know it? I don't. So Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, the, these are characters that they've had before this. Um, and in, in the sketch, which happens a few times throughout the Kroll show, they play these older Upper West Siders named Gil Faison and George St. Gieglin. Okay. And uh, they have a local TV show uh, in which they have a guest at a diner, and they pretend it's like for an interview. And then when the guest's meal arrives, it's like a giant mound of tuna in a sandwich, and it's too much tuna. (laughs) And it's an incredibly lame joke that they inevitably ruin because they're so pleased with the joke that they can't help but basically explain it before it even happens. Right. Um, And this movie, I feel like it just does that again and again and again. It's a giant pile of tuna. It is a giant pile of tuna. I mean, like, for instance, there's a whole bit... In which Ewan McGregor's character is almost tricked into eating overripe cheese. Yes. And it goes on for a long time. Yes. And like the whole idea of someone eating overripe cheese is already like not a very good joke. No, and the whole bit is based around him. Like, is he going to eat it? Is he right, not? and he keeps
0: getting it close to his mouth. Right. And and, then and, and Mordecai, who has set this up, I guess, to poison this guy because he doesn't like him. Right, is like, eh, 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 uh-huh. and then he and then he'll move the cheese away from his mouth, and it's like, right. oh drat. And then, or the bit in which. Uh,
1: the, the mustache, which he grows a mustache, and every time right. his wife hates it, refuses to sleep with him,
0: right. when she kisses him, she gags. Right, a joke. and he has a, a sympathetic gag reflex, so when she gags, he gags. Right. I have to confess, I might have laughed at that once or twice. The sympathetic gag reflex thing just cracked me up. Okay. I'll, I'll be honest. Okay, fair, I'll be honest fair. You got it? The you know? cheese is beyond help. Sure.
1: But, or, or even, like, there's, there's the bit in which Mordecai is caught by his wife in, like, a compromising position on the dance right, floor of right, Olivia Munn, right, Something who, that is also, like, just telegraphed from, like, so far away. Sure, and we've seen this in and a million it, exactly. movies. And it's just set up, and you're like, it feels almost like it's supposed to be anti-comedy because it's so it's so <laughs> thudding when it happens that right. you you're like, wait, is there another joke? Is, like, the joke that this is so stale that... But then never, there's never no. There's never
0: an additional level. That's funny you mentioned that. I had that thought too. Like, what am I missing here? Like the cheese scene that you mentioned, I I almost sent me into a spiral of existential despair because it makes so little sense as a joke. Like, if you're paying attention, okay, they set this up by like uh, Johnny Depp, uh, Mordecai has the Ewan McGregor character over. Uh, or he shows up. Ewan McGregor is recruiting Mordecai against his will to work on this case, as you mentioned. And Mordecai's like, well, I'm gonna stick it to him by making him eat this stupid fistunkin of cheese. Yeah, but
1: first, but before then, he like basically uh tricks Ewan McGregor into choosing his like crummy wine. Right, port. Yeah, port, excuse me. Which Ewan McGregor is
0: not cultured enough to know that it is crummy. Yeah. And he's hilarious. like, I got you. Yeah, hilarious. Yeah. And then he's like, bring the special cheese or something. And when 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 uh, Jock brings it out, it's so, like, toxic smelling that he has to, like, you know, he has to hold his breath. He has to put they on have gloves. They
1: a cupboard full of, of overrides cheese. cheese. Yeah, which also. is sort
0: of, again, that's mildly amusing. But that, okay, so the idea is that this cheese is so toxic it can't be touched or smelled. So how does it, how could, it, how could anyone, unless they had established, which they don't, that Ewan McGregor is hard of smelling. Like, how right. does that joke work at all?
1: Or that... I don't know that that he's so uncultured he can't tell that that cheese cheese has the most disgusting
0: odor ever. I don't know. I literally it makes no sense. It
1: it doesn't make any sense. And I I just want to say, can I say one more thing?
0: You and McGregor should send Johnny Depp a. Like a like a bouquet, a like an edible arrangement. I don't know what every Christmas to thank him for being even worse than he is in this movie because he is so horrible too. But no one noticed because Johnny Depp is on another level of bad, right? And I thought Hugh McGregor is so horrible in this he movie. He is bad.
1: Well, he just has. I mean, I don't. This movie has very little comic timing in general. But he is not. He is barely present. I feel like every scene he has is very like. It's it's almost like it was just a run through they did before, and he didn't know the camera was rolling. You right. know, um, I think you know in, in, in it's actually Gwyneth Paltrow who I think gets the closest to what I would imagine this movie was aiming for. Yes, I would agree. You know, uh, I think that she has a better sense of this kind of like very cutting like bits of dialogue or supposed to be cutting bits of dialogue. You
0: know, yeah. that, like these very like you know jousty exchanges that they have. The issue is she has no chemistry with Johnny Depp.
1: No. You know, and she's also, so
0: great, like with Robert Downey Jr., where you go, I love watching them in those Iron Man movies, where it doesn't yeah. even matter what they're saying. Just the two of them sparring, you just the, the, the sparks are flying. Yeah, And even if they're, the characters are supposed to be kind of in a fight in this movie, you don't even feel that. It's just, they're talking and they're talking at each other, and it's like they're not even in well, the same well, world. Exactly. Because also, she is
1: playing, like, a slightly heightened version of this kind of modern aristocrat, and he right. is playing a cartoon.
0: He is. And
1: it, their relationship makes no sense because you don't understand why anyone would marry him because right Because he i mean also and i think this is another problem with them like maybe not understanding this source material or not knowing how to adapt it which is that i it's it's stylized but it's also set in the present day yeah and there's a lot of bits of humor that it like i you know there's this whole part in which mordecai gets sent to the u.s which he calls the colonies yes the west a- colonies yes, or something. something and he acts like it's totally alien territory yes. right
0: he goes to the standard in los angeles and he 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 says he's like he thinks he's wandered into a porn
1: movie right because there are women in bikinis right. and then he's handed a like a card like a, a key card yeah. and he's like did you just give me a credit card like no wonder your economy has like melted down which doesn't make any sense as a joke right nor does it make any sense unless he he like was like rip van winkle and has right. like woken up like it makes like the books are written in the 70s uh you know and very little i don't there, there's a way in which he's and, and the character is supposed to be out of date then i would assume and kind of like out of touch you would think so given and, his behavior in this, if he acts it, like it this makes it seemed like he really i don't know has like never left like his the place the, the, the estate in which he grew up
0: yeah yeah it's very weird. It's a mystifying movie it's in a lot very of ways. Mystifying. Occasionally it I think there are a few bits that are mildly funny. I like and and it's a good looking movie, like the production design, the costuming. I like even, you know, the the way that because it is sort of a globe trotting movie in a certain sense because they're bouncing around the world looking for art and escaping the police and this that and the other. And I like even the transitions that they do with these cool like, you know, pl- planes flying around the world and they they tell you where they are ba- with these big letters that kind of appear over whatever city they're in I, even that sort of that to me that sort of works and like the music like it has this jaunty kind of vibe that you feel like in a better movie with a uh, better calibrated performances I think could have worked really well
1: I agree I mean I can see even like a movie that is that that is really kind of leaning into the idea of of people who are like a holdover, whose lifestyles are a holdover from like you know, like several generations ago at this point, you right? Know? But people who like don't have never like had jobs and have never you know like even the idea like the idea of of doing something that is not basically a hobby, right? You know, was is foreign to them that you can be eight million pounds in debt uh, to the government right. and also still live in this like giant estate and and live the, live a pretty f- like high life you know i mean i think there's something really funny about that like there's like a lot of room for comedy there Mm -hmm. for someone who really can like get it right right this movie comes nowhere near getting
0: it right yeah i keep trying to think of like how it could work and i get i keep coming back to the idea that it's just everything is a joke on a joke like does I, i was trying to think like who in this movie uses their normal speaking voice and the answer is almost no one. A few of the minor characters, right. Olivia Munn and and uh, Jeff Goldblum, who is another person. He's a, he has a small role. But I felt like jo- Jeff Goldblum actually got this movie too. Like he actually plays it straight, whereas everyone else is – Big and broad, and it's like they assembled the wacky accent Avengers. It's like, let's put together all of the wackiest accents in the entire universe and stick them all in a movie together and have them all, you know, just talk around each other. Yeah.
1: Well, see, it's funny. You called out, like, the kind of production value of this, but I think there's, like, a touch of, like, Wes Anderson-y-ness mm. to, to, like, I don't even want to say, it's not the tone, but, like, a little bit of to the design of it. It's much more kind of slick than that, and and uh, and and much kind of more cartoony. But yes, it's a it's a part of the problem for me. I think is that like these characters needed to be brought down to earth a bit more, not to be so stylized. Right, and know? I fe- I
0: feel like you could either do Depp or his character Mordecai is the straight man, and everyone around him is wacky, or he's crazy, and everyone around him is sort of. Amused, befuddled, confused by him. Like instead, everyone is silly and weird and wacky to varying degrees, and it's just there's no base level of reality. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Is it Johnny Depp is a cartoon in this movie? I mean, and I, I, I would imagine that that's what he was going for. I mean, that's what he goes for in a lot of his movies, which I'm sure we'll talk about in our next segment. It's just. I I I don't understand it. Just but it's like you go well. How could this have worked with this performance? Not with this
1: performance. I just I don't think that this performance can fit in this type of like. I just I don't know where it would fit ever. Like you know, I I know that this is he he wants to go big now. Like everything he right. does is going so big, but he just tears through this movie. Like maybe if there was someone totally different in this, I don't know that it would be a successful movie, but it wouldn't be so bewildering. Yeah. Where you're like, I don't
0: understand what this is even trying to do. Besides the mustache and all the jokes in the mustache, I felt like the most emblematic choice was, you know, there's because there's actually several like chases in this movie. It's sort of a, almost an action movie. Uh, and there's one chase where instead of it just being a chase, cars chasing one another, there's a motorcycle. But it's not just a motorcycle. It's a motorcycle with a sidecar because that's like funny, right? Sidecars are funny. You can't just be a motorcycle chase it 's got to be a quirky, funny motorcycle chase, and like to me that 's this movie in a nutshell it 's a sidecar motorcycle chase, right Everything has to be wacky and silly and goofy and quirky it can 't just be what it is
1: yeah, I agree and it's it's got it 's got this very like roundabout storyline that you
0: know the point is not there to make any sense, but I wish that I could see it being the it's funny i could I, like i'm looking list, watching it and going, I could see this being the premise of a s- more serious heist movie and being totally fine. like this could totally be the plot of a perfectly serviceable heist movie. The funny thing to me was that the the plot is resolved, and then the movie continues for like twenty more minutes. On the insane assumption that we love these characters so much that we don't want to leave the theater, we don't want the movie to end, we just want to spend more time with Mordecai and his wife and Jock.
1: Well, I, well, that's the problem, right? Is that it's it, it, the movie presents itself as being about this caper, but actually the stakes in the movie are: will the Mordecais be able to continue living in the style to which they are accustomed,
0: right. and like, also will they will their marriage survive? Right.
1: Like, will he preserve the status quo yes. of, like, having a Rolls Royce? Having a manservant. Yeah, a manservant. Having a, man- yeah, manservant, a, having mansion, a ridiculous yeah. mansion. And and basically selling art. Keeping his mustache. Yes, exactly. And and spoilers, like, yes. He, all <laughs> the, of the status things. quo
0: is maintained, and yeah. there's nothing more exciting but, in a movie than but that. But
1: that's why it keeps going. And when it does, you're like, wait.
0: No, this I, is over. I'm yeah. done, I'm done with like, this but movie. But also,
1: like, why would you think I cared about whether or not he could continue to yeah you know live this life this weird weird life that you have not set up very well
0: yeah it's a it's a movie that is so bizarre that it's it is sort of it's not boring
1: it isn't and it's very much itself yeah you know it's it's a disaster but it's a very
0: it's singular disaster yeah
1: and it's also it's very consistent you know whatever it was they were trying for they achieved they it. Yes. For better or worse. It's like throughout. Yeah. It doesn't feel like one of those movies where you're like, oh, this was chopped to bits. No. And one scene is like wildly different from another. Right. Or it is, yeah,
0: or there's big chunks missing, yes. like the studio cut it to shreds nope. to try to make something more Consistent mainstream. All the way through. Absolutely. <laughs> it is what it is.
1: <laughs> uh, well, that is Mordecai. Uh, Try it if you dare.
0: Try it, uh, colonists, and enjoy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I love the way he can make a word with three syllables into a (laughs) fifty-syllable word. Uh, He can't be quiet. You're getting like a little into Austin Powers with. Uh,
1: (laughs) Um, Well, you can find it on Hulu and Amazon Prime.
0: In a merry mood today, Mr. John Tis your
1: delights are catching fire from one man to the next. Tis true, sir. So love can still inspire the blood to pound the heartly pyre. What more? What more can man require, require? than love,
0: sir. More than love, sir. What's oh, yes, her women? Pretty women. Well, let's continue our discussion of Johnny Depp. Uh, the man, the myth, the legend. The series of ridiculous accents and hairs. I mean, that's really what he's become.
1: I know. It wasn't always that way, though. No. I feel like, I mean, this is not, this is uh, this is a very obvious read on Depp's career, but I, I think that his starting off as the heartthrob in 21 Jump Street and and being this kind of alt-leading alt man for a while, it, like so much of his more recent career seems to be pushing back against that or just like boredom to be like, I don't want to be a normal leading man anymore. All I want to do is go big, gnaw on the scenery, wear some kind of crazy makeup and outfit. I, you know, like I, I feel like most of his recent roles, no, almost most, all, of
0: almost them, all, yeah. I mean, what was the last time we're looking at his IMDb page? What was the last time Johnny Depp played someone without a funny voice and or funny hair? transcendence transcendence where he literally played a computer right a, a man who became a, a robot computer. right a
1: he was barely like alive as a person right in and that so movie. there
0: it was like and there was like a sort of digital component to that performance right okay and uh, before that
1: lucky them i didn't see
0: we could we yeah i don't even know what that is i don't know what
1: that is um and before that i don't the rum diary
0: <laughs> no i mean there he was doing the uh oh, that's true the whole like Fear and Loathing prequel thing. I think it might be The Tourist. Yeah, two thousand ten.
1: Yeah, and and he works a lot. We're skipping past. He a, works we're a sh- lot. Skipping through a lot of things. Yeah, but yeah, his last few
0: roles. And then to- it's like, and then you go, okay, so he did The Tourist, which, let's be fair, as we're, much as we're saying like he's too over the top now, that he was underplayed and normal in that movie. That movie was horrible. It was so horrible. it's not like it's that not was like a guarantee. A, it's not a right. guarantee that it's it'll be good. But, but I think your point is being is a very good one, which is that at this point, it's not like. Uh, I'm trying to think who it would be. Like George Clooney. George Clooney plays George Clooney in most of his roles, right? He has a, a type, and he's he doesn't do a lot of accents and wigs and mustaches and things. Right.
1: Every once in a while, he like put on some weight or play a character who is not supposed to be attractive. Exactly. And, and, and that like for has, him is a big stretch. That's a big stretch, yeah.
0: And Johnny Depp is the complete opposite. He is never himself. He is always a character, and you almost feel like. You know, people, I think there is an appeal when an, when an actor sort of goes outside of their comfort zone. But it feels like, and I, I agree with you, it seems like he's constantly pushing against that sort of sex symbol thing that he got at a young age. But it's like, can you imagine if Johnny Depp, if he still was capable of it? Maybe he's not. But at, at, right now, if he made a really suave movie star movie, I feel like people would be really into it. They're ready for Johnny Depp to... Get rid of all this stuff. Play it,
1: play it straight and yes. not not be like. Yeah, I know it's funny because there are some actors that I feel uh, Brad Pitt and Mark Wahlberg in particular mm-hmm. are much more interesting. Tend to be much more interesting in, in side Sup- roles, in right? supporting, supporting roles. roles. Yes, like uh, they they kind of vanish a lot of the times as leading men. You yes. know, they're they're just like they're bland, and I yet agree. they come to life in these in these supporting roles, and I feel like Depp is trying to will himself into that in some ways or if he is going to be a leading man he's going to be a really weird one. Yeah. He's going to layer on all kinds of of tics and and accents and uh, oddities. But it, yeah, he just I mean, he's what, 52 now. He's like a still very handsome guy. He looks but, great for
0: 52. Right.
1: It's like he doesn't ever want that to be an aspect of his character
0: which to a certain extent I you know like that's sort of admirable that he doesn't want to just be a handsome guy like that's you know right
1: but you can be a handsome guy and right absolutely like I don't think he doesn't seem
0: capable though he or he at least you know chooses not to. Yeah. It's funny all the things you say about him you know, wanting to be sort of this weird hybrid of a leading man and a, a supporting character. That kind of goes perfectly with my first pick. Should I go first? Please. All right. Well, this is probably a movie a lot of people have seen, but I'm guessing not in a while. And one that their opinion of might have been affected by thanks to a bunch of really crappy sequels. And that is the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie, The Curse of the Black Pearl, which is now available on Netflix. And if Johnny Depp has become a caricature of himself at this point, this is where he started th- that sketch, right? Captain Jack Sparrow, the flamboyant pirate, searching the high seas for his beloved ship, which has been taken by uh, Barbossa, right? And I, I, you know, I liked this movie a lot when it came out, but I think you could argue, I, you know, thinking about it again for this podcast, I think you could make the case that the first Pirates is one of the movies of this century with the biggest negative impact on Hollywood. It encouraged people to make more movies out of theme park rides and concepts and things that have, I would say, narratively dubious potential as movies. It inspired this whole franchise, specifically the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, which has given us three bad movies, I would say, two really bad sequels and one sequel i thought the third movie was one of the worst like big big major blockbusters i've ever seen i sat in the theater praying for the movie to end i thought it was awful the third one
1: i don't know if i even remember at world's end oh yeah yeah.
0: Absolutely atrocious. Was that the
1: one with the whirlpool?
0: I believe so, yeah, yes. That was yes. Really good. A very potent symbol for how the whole thing had just <laughs> completely gone down the drain. Um it gave us, you know, it really made Orlando Bloom into sort of like a leading man for a little while. That didn't work well for her for anybody. And it really seemed to I mean, that was to me, that's the tipping point for Johnny Depp. He always liked accents and and hair, and characters, and being big and broad, but that was the movie where he really indulged all of these impulses, and it worked, and it seemed to really inspire him to go off the deep end, so I hadn't looked back at the original movie in a while, and going back to it for the first time in I don't know how many years— I really found – this. it's a great little movie. It's a wonderful entertainment. It's not little, though. It's not little. Okay. But it's a wonderful movie. It's a really great old-fashioned Hollywood adventure movie. You know, I I think it's one of the best movies of this kind outside of, like, the original Indiana Jones movies that's been made in the last couple of decades. And Johnny Depp is great in it. And also – He's like doled out appropriately. Well, that's exactly what my point was going to be yeah. is that he is not the main character. Or if he is, the movie is big enough. Maybe it's a little too big, but he doesn't feel like the central figure. He's the supporting character, he's the comic relief. Orlando Bloom and, and Kira Knightley are having this sort of sweet, very straight, played very straight love story. And he kind of gets to come in and be goofy and wacky and silly. And it's just the right amount. and And all those sequels made, particularly like the last couple, made Captain Jack Sparrow the the main character. And that was absolutely toxic to that franchise. And that's a big reason why the sequels don't work is that we, best in small portions. And I think that's true of Jack Sparrow. And I think that's particularly true of this style of Johnny Depp is that, and again, this is exactly what you were saying. And this was the point I was going to make is that he seems to want to be a supporting actor. He wants to be a bit, player. But maybe it's because of his stature, his name, his fame, his good looks, his bankability, he keeps getting cast in these leading man roles and it it just doesn't work. He doesn't play leading men. He plays these goofy sidekicks that get put in the main role and that's really it sucks, frankly, in a lot of a lot of cases. And the one other thing I wanted to say is that looking at the movie again, something I'd never thought of before, was that his big broad performance in this movie, it's like it's almost like a human being's impression of an animatronic. And of course, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean are animatronic. There was yeah. no Jack Sparrow character, but just his herky jerky movements, it's almost like he's doing an impression of a robot. Like a like a like a robot that's trying to pretend to be human. And I didn't it, see that. He like yeah. rolls his
1: eyes even the way. Yeah, it
0: was, and you know. he's just like the sauntering around with these big gestures that are, you know, that are seem strangely unmotivated. He really felt to me like an, like an animatronic. You know, you called him a cartoon character in Mordecai, and I think that there is something very unreal about him in a lot of these movies, and it doesn't often work, but it did here. But whoa that it the impact that it had on his career in all of Hollywood. But I like this first movie, the original Pirates. It's available on Netflix. It's still a good movie.
1: All right. Well, for my pick, I will say it was another it was another point in his career where I feel like you saw one of the first flashes of him wanting to to play these type of roles, yeah, and only these type of roles, and it is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, mm. uh, now streaming on Amazon Prime. A movie I like a lot. Nineteen ninety eight, uh, Depp was he had just made Donnie Brasco the year before, probably one of his most acclaimed like playing it straight performances. Still has an accent. Still has an accent, but, but like it's he's playing, more subdued. It's set uh, yes. in the real world. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, and he, he like before then he played a lot of quirky leading man roles like Benny and June and what's eating Gilbert grape and Don Juan DeMarco, not necessarily, these are not like gritty realism, but these are all roles in which he was basically, yeah, he was like an alt, an alt romantic hero. Right? Yeah. That's and probably a good way of putting those. it. Um, and, but as like Hunter S Thompson stand and Raul Duke in fear and loathing in Las Vegas, there was nothing meant to be attractive about, how De- is playing this? You know, he actively blows up the image of himself as like this handsome Hollywood star. He's balding. He's twitchy. He's wearing the same like outfit of like a uh, shorts and that uh, that hat,
0: fisherman's hat. Yeah. Um,
1: you know, he's he's on at least three substances at all times <laughs> in this movie. Uh, in which he plays a journalist who, with his friend and attorney Dr. Gonzo, played by a great Benicio del Toro, goes to Vegas to ostensibly cover a motorcycle race, but actually to just do a ton of drugs and meditate on the American dream in the wake of the end of the idealistic '60s. And this is really a movie in which it's like it's like two sidekicks in search of a leading man, mm, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, which is it's one of way the things of that's so it. pleasurable about it. In fact. Uh, Raul Duke and Dr. Gonzo kind of take turns being the one who's like the dominant one, mm-hmm. you know, the more sane one. Uh, there are times in which, you know, it's one of like Dr. Gonzo is telling Raul Duke to like pull it together, pull it together, or like we've got to do this. And then other times in which he's the wild and crazy one right. who has to be hemmed in or run away from when he's brandishing a knife. And, uh, you know, Gilliam's sensibility works, it melds surprisingly well with Thompson's fantasia of, like, circus circus on acid, of of these lounges in which everyone turns into this grotesque lizard because uh, the main characters aren't hallucinogens. But I think one of the things that's, like, looking at this movie again, one of the things that is noteworthy about it is just how free... Depp looks. Mm. Like he is having a great time in this role, not just because he loves Hunter S. Thompson and was friends with Hunter S. Thompson and would go back to the well again for the Rum Diaries in 2011 with less success, mm. but that he is playing a character who, who assumes that he is off on the side and doesn't, like who isn't necessarily... The center of attention because he is like the best looking guy, or something like that, you know? You're, he's playing this weird character. Who uh and who does like a lot of physical comedy. You know, some of the best, most enjoyable parts of this movie are the ones in which they uh the two of them do ether and like can barely walk into Circus Circus, their like legs don't work, or when they're on the uh the bar, the carousel bar in Circus Circus and can't get off of it because they're both so high that like it is physically too difficult to step off of a slowly moving platform. You know, those parts are, are really funny, and also I think. Not the kind of thing that you would normally associate Depp with, even if when he'd done kind of physical I mean in Benny and June, he's, you know he does a lot of physical, physical stuff. but I, it just I, like to do something that's basically like druggy slapstick. Uh, he He does very well. He leans into it really well. And I feel like this movie, as much as he was playing a an exaggerated version of a regular character. It was you could see those flickers of something that he would he would eventually go on to really just bank on in Pirates, and then just you know lean into too much later on. But it's really enjoyable in Fear and Loathing, and I think as with Pirates of the Caribbean, you can see ways in which like this brings out a good part of like him as an actor, just as long as it's not it's in the right project and it's not too far. Yeah. Uh, You know, like it's, this is a movie that I think holds up very well and is, is uh, especially in the ways in which it goes, like he is able to channel it going from we're like, we're going to go blow things up to where this movie eventually gets to, which is like threatening a waitress in a rundown diner with a knife. And, like, just all of the fun fizzling out of this venture. Um, and he he channels that very well. Like, he brings the movie from those heights down to those lows uh, and makes it work. So, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, even if it was the start uh, of, of Modern Depp, it is still good. And it's available on Amazon Prime. I like
0: that we keep kind of, we're trying to find, like, the origin, the original uh, sin.
1: I mean, there's not- I, the problem is, or not the problem, but like he's done stylized things all the way back. Yeah. You know, it's not like there was, there was the one thing. But I feel like when you start to get that turn from being like he's stylized in Crybaby, yeah, you know, but he's a stylized heartthrob in Crybaby, mm-hmm. whereas I he's not a heartthrob in <laughs> fear and loathing in Las no, Vegas. No, certainly not. Certainly
0: not. All right, my next pick. We we it's funny. I we without discussing this in advance, we really have this, I mean, maybe it's just very obvious, but we have this very similar conception of him now, which is that he really has become this living cartoon. And so because of that, because I was thinking that way, watching him in Mordecai and stuff, I wanted to watch him in an actual cartoon, which is why my next pick is Corpse Bride, Tim Burton and Mike Johnson's stop-motion animated movie from 2005, which is now available on Netflix. And what surprised me, having never actually seen this movie before, is how Depp is the straight man in this film, and he's playing maybe the most subdued character of that this era of his career, except, again, the one we mentioned, Transcendence, where he's literally a computer, and computers tend to be pretty dry when they talk. So his character in Corpse Pride is Victor. He's the son of these rich merchants, and he's about to be married off in this arranged marriage to the daughter of another wealthy family. But while he's out practicing his vows, he accidentally proposes to a corpse, which is a thing that happens all the time to all of us I know um, the titular corpse bride voiced by Helena bottom Carter and that creates all these tensions and confusions and you have the sort of this very confusing love triangle between Victor the dead wife, the living fiance, and the two worlds of the living and the dead and that juxtaposition is what I liked best about the movie how. Burton and Johnson portray the world of the living as very, this very bland place. It's very gray. You know, it's almost a black and white movie in in the world of the living, but the world of the dead is very bright. It has these wild neon colors. Kind of reminded me of Beetlejuice, actually, where the world of the afterlife is garish and kind of scary and kind of monstrous, but also sort of alive and beautiful and, and full of all this creative design. And yeah, Depp mostly plays it very straight, which is... Strange, Because as we've been saying, like when he makes live action movies, he becomes a cartoon. And yet here in a cartoon, he somehow is capable of reining himself in and almost like underplaying it. And he has this very sweet innocence that's perfect for his character here. And it's just like watching it kind of – it made me like something like Mordecai even less because it's like, okay, so he – it's it's not something that's not within him he is capable he's this is these are deliberate choices he's making. I just don't know why he- why he he can't do it and it's it it, it as I enjoyed this movie and but it befuddled me and it made me question even more you know a movie like Mordecai like a black mass um you know, even something like the Alice movies, where, again, like there he's like almost like adapting a cartoon in a sense, you know, by like it's a live action version of a cartoon.
1: And Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Uh, you know, like or they they or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like they those characters are barely human. Yeah. They're just like they're so out there. Right.
0: And yeah. yet here in this, it's like. I don't know. I would say, well, he needs to be in a story like this where everything is so outrageous, but he can be the grounded center. But that's kind of Mordecai, or it could have been. They chose not to make it that way. So I'm I'm, I'm going to throw up my hands and say, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's funny because uh, Corpse
1: Bride, it feels like a continuation of this character that he has played like pretty well throughout his career of the kind of like goth prince-type character, mm. right? Like Edward Scissorhands then Sleepy Hollow, yeah, and Sweeney Todd, all of these Tim Burton movies, yeah, um, you know, like it's it's even if it's a type, it's one that he's done very well, right, and that
0: maybe I've, even from Hell, there was like a whole, yeah, he kind of had like a mini period there, yeah, yeah. in that early two thousands where he kept going back to it, yeah, but then he sort of got tired of it, I guess he did.
1: Well, I wanted to call out for my my second pick, a movie in which he is not by any means the star, Good. but in which. He plays two characters, Mm. and fascinatingly, it is Before Night Falls, which is available for Rent. It's Julian Schnabel's 2000 biopic, um, stars Javier Bardem, who got an Oscar nomination for his role as Cuban poet Reynaldo Arenas. Um, But Depp basically cameos twice uh, in two scenes that are almost back-to-back, and it seems like the before and after (laughs) of Johnny Depp the the for in the first time you see you see that he plays bonbon bon, uh who is like a, either transgender or cross-dressing heartthrob of the prison that uh Reynaldo has been put into and you see the character walking onto the yard from behind and in a dress like this very high cut dress um, and uh blonde wig lipstick and the camera like follows this person all the way through and like focuses on uh bonbons behind as as voiceover tells us that this like this person is famous for smuggling things in and out of the prison, uh in let's say the the prison wallet, the the prison purse, if you will. And uh then you know, it's not until Depp turns around that you it's like a reveal. You're like, oh. That's Johnny Depp, like in a in a kind of like DIY prison ball gown, uh, lipstick, and for whatever reason, like the faintest growth of, growth of beard, and he's like he's he's not he is exaggerated only as a character like that would be, you know, someone who is who is playing like stylized femininity, and it's like it's a really short scene, or basically, uh, he's smuggling pages out of the prison um and like you see him like removing them and passing them along to someone else to smuggle them out Uh, and then right afterwards depp is in the movie again as a totally different character as a lieutenant who is uh just like this prison warden this like sadistic prison warden who is trying to break the main character down and is trying to make him deny his homosexuality inform on his friends and admit his wrongs. And Depp is like, has actually a normal looking mustache, not a, uh, not a Mordecai style mustache. (laughs) And is, and it's just like, like uh, like handsome, like as, as, as Reynaldo admits himself in voiceover, he's like this really handsome, extremely like uh, mean looking guy. And it becomes this like moment of fantasy in which he, he imagines, like, confessing all of these things and then getting embraced by this guy who says, like, this is how a man behaves. And in two scenes, back to back, you have Johnny Depp playing, you know, this, like, deliberately outsized character and then playing this, like, super traditionally masculine, um, you know, like, stereotype of authority. And the ways in which he, he sags from one to the other so that you almost don't recognize it at first... I think goes to show his range, you know, like it's uh, the choice to have him be not just, oh, like a novelty cameo, um, you know, but to, to have him play these roles twice, I think just speaks to one, like this kind of like, like gender, like the ways in which gender is this, you know, spectrum in which someone can move, but also speaks to just his ability to, you know, transform from one thing to another. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's fascinating. I, I think that it's, it's a weird and memorable use of the person who was like the most famous face in this movie at the time in these like very small scenes. And I think when you see it, it's like hard to forget, even if it's, even if it is essentially a cameo. So that is before night falls and you can
0: rent it on all of the usual spots. Let's do a brief discussion of a couple of movies that are in theaters, one of which uh, I have not seen yet, uh, and it's 10 Cloverfield Lane, and I don't want to know anything about it, so Allison's going to talk about it in the uh, least spoilery way possible because I'm sure you don't want to know, but I also I also don't want to know anything beyond what's in the trailers. I've seen the trailers, so uh, I know Jeffrey Wells really liked it. I know that much. <laughs> Um, but other than that, what can you tell us?
1: It's it's a fun don't spoil it don't spoil it little movie. <laughs> I think <laughs> that it's <laughs> go ahead go ahead. It's funny that it's being marketed as this spiritual sequel or whatever they're calling it. Um, right, given they're like, oh, it's it's a Cloverfield movie, but also it doesn't exist in the same timeline or universe or whatever J.J. Abrams is saying at any one time. I mean, the the main question of the movie is basically. How this will or will not line up with the idea of being a Cloverfield type movie? I right? see, but uh, it's mostly a a kind of three person thriller, mm-hmm. you know, mostly sent in, set in this bunker um, with John Goodman, a great John Goodman, he's and and Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Gallagher Jr. as the three in it, and uh, and basically, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is trying to figure out if John Goodman is um is pulling a Kimmy Schmidt on her. Or not, and uh, and whether bad, like whether it's true that bad things have happened up above, or uh, whether he's crazy, which is not necessarily the same thing. He might be crazy, and bad things have happened up above. One or the other, Um, (laughs) but and also whether like John Gallagher Jr. can be trusted. It's nicely directed, and I think that's what makes it work so well. Is that it uses this very claustrophobic space, and it doles out bits of information really in a a great way but it also it trusts the performers and uh mary elizabeth winstead's character is is one of those rare characters in a movie like this who doesn't make really dumb every choice she makes is smart given Mm -hmm. the bad situation Mm -hmm. and uh there's something very refreshing about being able to see that where you're never like no, what right. are you doing? You know, like it's a movie that...
0: There's no stinky cheese joke. It ex- all makes exactly. sense. Exactly.
1: It all makes sense. And so, and I, I think there's something that's just like such a relief about that when mm. you're not mad at the characters doing things because the plot requires it. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a nicely done little movie. And uh, when you see it, I'm in- interested in talking about the second half of it with you. Okay. But well, hopefully I'll I, get to see it soon. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I will
0: because I got nothing else going on and I have lots of free time to watch movies. Of course. So the other film we wanted to talk about very briefly is The Brothers Grimsby, also now playing in theaters. It's the new Sacha Baron Cohen movie. Uh, He has sort of, I guess, I think been forced to abandon the whole, you know, kind of prank Uh, mode of filmmaking where he, you know, pretends to be someone goes out in the real world and makes a fake documentary because I think he's a little too famous and too recognizable now. So this is a, a straight fiction film. He plays this sort of dopey, drunken, soccer hooligan character who's been, was separated as a child from his brother, who's now played by Mark Strong, who is also now a secret agent. And they're reunited and get sort of uh accidentally on the run you know it's like a, a a buddy spy cop road movie with lots of vulgar humor did you like this one
1: i thought it was fine i mean i thought like the th- one of the jokes in particular setup was hilarious and like the elephant yes the elephant yes yeah. uh, I i liked the slightly underdeveloped idea of it as like a, a way of digging into James Bond's class issues mm. because i mean mark strong is basically playing a james bond type character he's james bond yes. yeah and that and then to have his brother and his past be like the most like working class, Yes, st- like the most like nightmare self described kind of, like, scum, right? Like, like the Daily Mail's most like um <laughs> condescending version of like a working class life, right? Um, and to have that be like his origins and to have this character like be following him around who is, yeah, always carrying a drink, right? Like, has a drink, this reminder
0: think, like, of where he came from,
1: right? I think like is a I, I mean, I enjoyed that. I it's a like, great
0: idea that the movie barely. barely explores. I know it's.
1: I mean, the movie is like eighty minutes long,
0: yeah. and like. It mostly just goes from like big joky joke to set joke. piece. Yeah. yeah, you you talked about uh, I forget when earlier in this podcast. Oh, with Mordecai, where it doesn't feel like that movie was cut to shreds to make something poppy and fun and mainstream accessible. This feels like that. It feels yes. like there was a like a two hour version of this movie that really burrowed into the characters, that uh, got into the psychology of the Mark Strong character and also the Sasha Baron Cohen character, and that at some point either the studio or Sasha Baron Cohen or whoever was like nope just make the funny version of this and that's what it is like the how the two brothers are reunited makes no sense they don't explain it at all it's just like he's literally like the world's greatest secret agent and sasha baron cohen's friend at a bar who's (laughs) another drunken soccer fan is like your brother's gonna be over here and it's (laughs) like how could you possibly know that he's james (laughs) bond how could you find james bond that way but whatever it's not really about that and I think there's some jokes in here that are very offensive like knowingly they're trying to push buttons. It's sort of Sasha Baron Cohen's way is to be a provocateur. Sure. There are there are multiple AIDS jokes. Yes. And I felt very ashamed of myself, but I laughed very hard at this movie several times. Enough to say that like I would say as a comedy it's worth seeing. All right, let's get to behind the eight ball where we uh, run down some new releases, some listener recommendations and one film chosen blindly by number from our my lists. Allison, who's going first this time? I want to go first. You do? Yes. You sure? Yes. Okay. Well, why don't you start with three new releases? Okay. First up, new to Netflix
1: is season two of Halt and Catch Fire, the AMC series about the 80s PC revolution in Texas. Uh, This is one of those series that I started watching the first season, was very underwhelmed by it. It, it, Like, Lee Pace played this character that really felt like a Don Draper knockoff. Went back to it. it. The season went in directions I hadn't expected. I was on board the second season changed the focus to the wives of the two main characters mm-hmm. as they start what is basically like an early version of a networked gaming company, like i um, in the modem era, like little tanks fighting each other and becomes just like so fascinating and like so unexpected. It's storyline goes in no directions that you can kind of predict. And it's just about a type of company that like, i've never seen before and uh it really like shifts the focus to Mackenzie davis and carrie Bechet, who are both like great ac- you know like lee pace and Scoot mcnary are excellent actors but they were kind of running through a lot of rhythms i would seen before in a lot of prestige dramas and in shifting that focus i just felt like a new show so i really recommend it um I, I would even say, like you might even be able to just start in season two, and you can pick up hmm. a lot of where the dramas were, okay. and then work your way back to season one if you want. But that's worth checking out. That's on Netflix now. Also new to Netflix, uh, Jafar Panahi's Taxi, one of my favorite movies of last year. You know, Panahi has been officially banned from making movies uh, by the Iranian government. Has made three movies since then, and this is one of them. And like those other two, it's this kind of mix of documentary and fiction, in which. He is driving a taxi around Tehran and picks up different people who sometimes seem like characters out of his movie and are sometimes supposed to be people he knows. And as it goes on, it becomes this conversation about his films, about censorship, about the reality of making movies in Iran, and about just all of these stories bubbling up just everywhere he looks. It's a really wonderful movie, and I'm glad that it's on Netflix now and more people can check it out. That is Taxi. And finally, new to Fandor is River of Grass. This is Kelly Reichardt's directorial debut. She made this movie in 1994, I believe, and then didn't make movies for years until Old Joy. Um, and this one stars Lisa Bowman as Cozy, who is a housewife who meets a man named Lee, who's played by Larry Fessenden, filmmaker and actor, uh, at a bar, and they, they go on the run together after they think they might have accidentally committed a murder. And it's supposed to be—I haven't seen it yet. It's on my. I'm looking forward to watching it, but it is supposed to be very different from her other movies, which are these very intimate, meditative uh, studies, character studies. And uh, but it's supposed to be very good. So I'm looking forward to checking that out. That is River of Grass, and it is on Fandor. Okay, how about two listener recommendations? Okay, first up, we have one from Pat, who writes. My partner and I have just finished watching the Netflix original series, River, and I want to recommend it to you. River is a police detective in London whose perception is off, let's say. When we meet him, we see that he is distracted, pale, and seemingly depressed. After after the disastrous pursuit of a suspect, we learn what is ailing him, and it makes for absolutely gripping storytelling. The writing for this show is gorgeous. The dialogue is perfect at every turn. The photography is also beautiful, showing off London, a beautiful city, through stunning shots of its architecture, as well as moody moments in a series of dismal interiors whose flickering fluorescent lights add to the viewer's unease, not to mention the detective's rapidly deteriorating mind. Also, River made me weep, it's pretty heart-rending. Please put it on your my lists if you haven't already. Um, so thank you for that, Pat. I have actually seen River. I enjoyed it a lot as well, and would second that recommendation. Um, it's a British series, but Netflix picked it up as an original in the U.S. Um, and it's Stellan Skarsgård, who is always a pleasure. Mm-hmm. And we have a second recommendation from Crystal. Actually, this is a double recommendation. Um, First up, Crystal writes, The Apple. um, How does one describe this 1980 musical? It is set in the future, which is, of course, 1994. Mm -hmm. There are dancers Mm -hmm. an Adam and Eve allegory and actual, actual, actual vampires. It is one of those. It is so bad that it is good movies ever. Uh and that is streaming on Amazon Prime. And then Crystal writes, I was spurred to rewatch it by Electric Boogaloo, The Wild Untold Story of Canon Films. Mm. It is a fascinating tale of two Israeli cousins who uh look to make their way in Hollywood by producing some of the best schlock ever made, arm wrestling competition over the top anyone, and that is streaming on Netflix. And those are two great recommendations. Thank you, Crystal.
0: Okay, and one film chosen blindly by number from your my list.
1: You gave me number twenty, which is a Royal Affair. Um, now we're, we've just had the year of Alicia Vikander. Uh, this was the movie I think she first got attention for in the U.S. before mm-hmm. this, in which she plays uh, Princess Caroline, who is betrothed in the in the seventeen hundreds to the Mad King of Denmark. And then uh, uh, falls in love with this German doctor who is this uh, idealistic figure played by Mads Mikkelsen. And uh, obviously having a secret affair as a royal never works out well. And, but it's supposed to be lush and beautiful. And those are two actors I like a lot. So it's on my my list. All right, Matt, are you ready? Yes!
0: Yes! Okay. Uh, Three new releases. All right. First up, my most anticipated show of the spring. It's Bosch Season 2 on Amazon Prime. Titus Welliver returns as L.A. Cop Harry Bosch, the, uh, the creation of crime novelist Michael Connelly. And that's what I liked best about the first season of Bosch. It actually felt like a crime novel in televised form. It told this big case over the course of the season. But it wasn't sprawling. It didn't concern itself too much with big, huge themes. It was just a mystery thriller... And I plowed through the first season like a hot knife through butter. I have, you know, very little time to watch things with the job, the baby, everything else going on. But my number one priority above all of that right now is to find some time to watch season two of Bosch on Amazon Prime. Next up, you know who else made a great cop, Allison? Who? Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's Mm -hmm. who. And in Eraser, Schwarzenegger plays U.S. Marshal John Kruger, who erases witnesses who are in danger uh, and in this movie, he has to protect Vanessa Williams from a bunch of bad guys. It's not one of Schwarzenegger's best. It is not. Because they're all his best, Allison. Mm. Every single one a masterpiece. Uh, Eraser is now available on Netflix. Finally, let's close out this trifecta of crime recommendations with Victoria, which is also new on Netflix. This movie from 2015 has a unique te- technical style. The entire movie unfolds in one long take. It's not a fake out, there's no tricks takes aren't sewn together to look like one long take like birdman for example director sebastian Schipper shot the movie we know the date april 27 2014 from four thirty to 7 a.m in berlin it follows a spanish girl named victoria played by laia costa in one of my favorite performances of 2015 she's out dancing at a late night club she meets a few guys and eventually winds up getting dragged into a bank heist I feel like some of the characters' decisions, eh, maybe they don't make the most sense. The 10 Cloverfield Lane thing where you're sitting there going, I don't know if I would do this. I don't know if this makes sense. I feel like maybe it doesn't pass that test with flying colors, let's say. But um, I I thought this movie was both an impressive achievement and a pretty good crime story and a love story to boot. So that is Victoria available on Netflix. All right, two listener recommendations. Our first comes from David in Los Angeles. He says, My recommendation is the Japanese anime series Attack on Titan on Netflix. It depicts a dystopian future in which the scant remainder of humanity live in a single city behind three massive walls erected to protect them from man-eating giants called titans that seemingly roam the rest of the planet. The series begin when a new type of titan ...capable of breaking through the city's walls... ...materializes and suddenly the years of peace humanity has enjoyed evaporates. The show combines the deep mystery of the early seasons of Lost... ...the unexpected deaths of major characters like Game of Thrones... ...and what's basically the best incredible Hulk story ever committed to the screen. The wall-to-wall action is gorgeously rendered... ...as humanity's elite hunters known as Scouts... ...fly around using their portable zipline systems... ...and do their best to slice these massive and frankly terrifying Titans to death... I hesitate to give away any more details lest I spoil the story. But suffice to say, anyone who starts watching the show will find it hard to stop. So that's Attack on Titan on Netflix. And we've also got a recommendation from James. And we should note that James is one of the filmmakers involved in the film he's recommending. But we don't necessarily have a problem with that as long as we acknowledge that. James says, I don't know if you know about the site NoBudge, NoBudge.com, N-O-B-U-D-G-E.com, but it has a lot of no-budget movies put up by filmmakers. I would love for you to check out our movie, New Cops. Uh, so you can find that at NoBudge.com slash main slash new dash cops. And that is a site we are familiar with. It's a site where filmmakers can put up their movies and you can watch them for free. And this is like a fifty-two-minute sort of between a short and a feature, and so uh, I think no, actually, no budget is a really cool site if yeah. you're into really little indie movies.
1: It's um, it's you, run by a
0: filmmaker, Kentucky, oddly, and you know if you're looking to sort of discover filmmakers at the beginnings of their career, it's often a place where you can find some really interesting people doing smart, unusual stuff. So the website is NoBudge.com, and the movie is New Cops. Uh, the, the plot description I will read to you. An ordinary man lives a dull life till his friend Chet comes over to stay for a few days. Dot, dot, dot. What could be in that ellipsis, Alice And I wonder? I'm intrigued. All right. All right. And one from your my list. You gave me number 14, which is Major League, the comedy Major League. (laughs) I love how Netflix describes this movie. A baseball team built to lose does just that in all sorts of wacky ways. Can these outcast athletes rally in the ninth? I wonder. (laughs) I added a bunch of like comedies that i like to my my high list when uh when my daughter was born just have stuff to watch like at four in the morning when i was feeding her and stuff and this was one of the movies that i added which i've seen many times major league it's a good movie allison we have another very interesting trio of choices for our listeners choice options all comedies this time yes it's a comedy showcase uh i believe i have the first one you do I, I, I uh, venture to say this will probably be the favorite. I think so. Yeah, probably. It is Pee-wee's Big Holiday, the new original Pee-wee movie, the first movie in quite a long while from Pee-wee from Paul Rubens. is directed by John Lee, and it will be available on Netflix starting on March 18th. The plot description, a fateful meeting with a mysterious stranger, inspires Pee Wee Herman to take his first ever holiday in this epic story of friendship and destiny. I believe we've both seen this movie already. We
1: have. We haven't talked about it, though. We have no idea. We're refusing to talk about it. Yeah, we
0: have no idea what, what each other thinks about it. I would say that plot description sums it up pretty well. I think it's fair to say the mysterious stranger is played by Joe Manganiello. Yes, I should. Uh, I should point out
1: that I. This I'm sure this happened to you as well. Yes, we were handed a a sheet of a letter from Pee Wee the desk allegedly of Herman, from the
0: desk of Pee Wee Herman,
1: uh, suggesting that we not give away two details that basically make it impossible to describe the plot of the movie any more than that.
0: Correct. It's, it's, it's one of the most ludicrous things I've ever been given it's at a almost, press screening. It feels like trolling, almost, to be like, can you write about this movie? It's a dare. <laughs> it's like a dare. It's like, can you, just, can you talk about this movie without describing the most fundamental thing it's about? Yes. Well, we're not going to try right now. Nope. Absolutely so not. So maybe after the movie is available, that'll, it'll be okay to discuss it? I think so. Yeah, so that's Pee Wee's Big Holiday, and that is going to be available on Netflix on March 18th.
1: All right, our second pick is a movie that came out, I believe, last year. It got a very small release. It is a movie called Balls Out, and it is available for streaming on Hulu. A sports comedy directed by Andrew Disney, uh, starring Jake Lacy, everyone's favorite new boyfriend, and Kate McKinnon of SNL and Lady Ghostbusters, um, and among others, and is about a group of college students that form an intramural football team in their senior year. This movie was originally titled Intramural and then was given the much worse title Balls Out <laughs> and like marketed with a poster of a uh, like a girl's underwear clad behind and I feel like from everything I've read about this movie which has gotten like very pretty solidly good reviews it is not that is not representative of the type of comedy it aims to be. So um, for good things about this, it, it definitely came and went very quickly. Kate McKinnon on her way to being a giant star. Mm. And Jake Lacey has also been kind of really coming up through the, through the ranks and has been charming as hell as, uh, as this kind of dorky boyfriend in yes. multiple romantic comedies. Uh, so yeah, that's one I'd like to check out. It's a very
0: intriguing pair. It is. I like both of those people a lot. A
1: lot, yeah. So that is Balls Out, and it is on Hulu.
0: Okay. Option three is currently available to rent on Amazon and iTunes. Uh, It's Me, Him, and Her. This is the directorial debut of Max Landis, the writer of a bunch of movies, including Chronicle, uh, American Ultra. What else am I missing? Victor Frankenstein, right? He wrote that as well, the recent Frankenstein movie. This is his first effort as a director, I believe, and the plot description is... 20-something drifter Corey arrives in Los Angeles to help his semi-famous TV star friend, Brendan, take his first steps out of the closet. The movie has a good cast. Aaliyah Shawkat, Gina Davis, Luke Bracey, Lance Hendrickson, Casey Wilson, and Haley Joel Osment. I haven't read a ton about this movie. It's gotten sort of very kind of small, quiet release. It it had its world premiere at like the Seattle Film Festival. Mm -hmm. It's, I think, yeah.
1: I know there's, like, a talking penis in it or something. I saw, like, the image that they were sending around promotionally for it had, like, a life-size member bending over someone
0: to talk to them. Interesting.
1: Interesting.
0: Who knows? Well, I don't know what to say to that, except to say that this is option number three, Me, Him, Her, available for rent on Amazon and iTunes.
1: All right. Well, which of these comedies should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting? Streaming video unit, you tell us. You can either send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com or, and this is much easier, you can just enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, March 21st at noon. And after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is filmspottingsvu. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on the next episode, which will come out on or around Tuesday, March 29th.
0: FilmSpottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. Listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.Bandcamp.com. We'll be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick. But in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at AllisonWilmore, Wilmore, at Matt Singer, and follow the show at SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from you guys, the SVU listeners. Don't forget to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. Always helpful in helping us reach new listeners. And you want us to reach new listeners,
1: right? Right? Matt can't do all these accents just in a vacuum of existing listeners. Yes, I say. Leave us a message. Leave us a thing. All right, all right. let's say? wrap it up. For Films Voting SVU, I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Alison Wilmore. Thanks uh, for listening. Uh, <laughs>